You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened to spiritual talkback program. There was a secret card that David played and it pleased the Lord, but you don't really care for music, do you? It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Well, folks, I'm about to read one of the longest uh, setups to an interview I've ever uh, done. And the only reason I'm going to go through this is because, it, to me, it's worth it. To me, it, it actually means something. It, to me, it's just not media hype or some um, publicist spin on, on the guest. 135 large communities in 33 countries and 1,600 faith and light communities in 80 countries are living laboratories of human transformation. In and outside of these organizations, Jean Vanier has spent more than four decades as a deeply radical advocate for the poor and the weak in our society. While the progressive disability movement speaks mainly about tolerance, rights, and normalization, Jean Vanier has shaped a distinct way of thinking that builds on those minimum standards of a civil society while inspiring us to transcend them. He invites us to recognize the profound gifts and lessons that people who have been rejected by society can offer when they are properly supported and included. Jean Vanier's leadership, writing, and practical works cross religious and cultural boundaries. He's a theologian and philosopher who is fully engaged with the ordinariness of everyday life and from whom people from all cultures sense a deep and honest empathy for how hard it is to be and to do good in a complicated world. As a practitioner, he is a witness to the transforming qualities of love, vulnerability, forgiveness, and simplicity. Spiritual qualities that are seldom heralded today. Where modernity calls us to privileged personal mastery, progress, and doing big things, Vanier's experience of living with people with profound impairment and his spiritual reflection on this experience led him to focus on being with and for others, especially disadvantaged others, to cultivating sincere presence to others' desires, being attentive to the beauty in all of our ordinariness, and being of meaningful service to others. There's really a lot more that could be said, but it's ridiculous to go on. This is Jean Vanier. Mr. Vanier, what a pleasure, what an honor it is. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for calling me. Uh, as you heard that intro, is there any part of you that sort of sat back and cringed a little? And <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if you have any Canadian in you, you don't like long intros. Uh, not too long. and Life is more simple than that. And... Uh, as I say, well, and what you said, it's just to live everyday life and learn to love people and to learn to understand them and so on. So what you said is essentially true. The difficulty is when you make a long introduction, people think it's really, you know, it's good that he's doing it, but we don't do it. The reality is that life is simple and to live in life is a simple reality and we just learn to love each other. And there's something something gone wrong in society which as you as you say is just looking for power and success where in reality the most important thing is just to learn to love each other and that is the road to peace 
Well, look, this interview came about as a result of me going to Massey Hall in Toronto a couple of weeks ago on a Saturday night. It was a bit of a fundraising event. Uh, and uh, there was the Toronto Symphony Orchestra on stage. There was Steve Bell on stage. There was Mike Jansen, uh, Tim Huff, of course, many others, Valerie Pringle. But uh, Steve Bell set up this one song, and he said, I was in Poland, and I went to visit Auschwitz, and I came back, and I was broken, and I, and I, I, and I wrote this song. And, uh, and he was talking about Hitler and one of the... The first group of people that, that Hitler decided to exterminate were the disabled. So he set this song up, and, a, and the string section starts in, and, and they were playing sort of these minor chords that just transported you to, over to the, the Eastern Bloc, and, and uh, you were there. I mean, emotionally, you were there. And I was sitting in the second row, and all of a sudden, out the left side of my eyes. Now, you've got to understand something, Mr. Vanier. I didn't want to be there that night. Uh-huh. I'm tired of going to these... Uh, fundraisers and uh, and uh, and uh, you know co- conferences and I mean I'm just sick to death of it all. Uh, so I already I was in a bad mood. I was tired. I sat down and tried to smile my way through the evening. And the music was quite lovely, but but then all of a sudden, when the song is playing out the corner of my eye on the left, this lady comes out pushing another person in a wheelchair, and they come to the center of the stage. The spotlight hits them, and they begin to dance. Together, and I, and my first thought, honestly, Mr. Vanya, was, "Oh, is this an actor? Is this someone sitting in a chair, bending their hands in a sort of a tortured way, and drooling on themselves? Someone's acting. They must be acting. No, no, they're not acting. And then I realized the person was developmentally challenged, or whatever the word is these days. Uh, uh, and and it would, they, they were real. And I thought, how dare they use someone to manipulate our emotions like this?" And then seven seconds later, I was weeping like a little girl. There was something so beautiful in that moment. And I've I've got a really cold heart these days, Mr. Vanier, very cold, that it just broke me open. And I I mean, I was just sobbing. And and it was as though this this lady who was dancing with the the gal in the wheelchair... um, uh, it was as though she was. They, they were. They were both celebrating life together. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's. I think the secret. They could have been the spirit movers from daybreak. I don't know. Yeah, the, uh, but, I mean, that's that's what uh, it is. Is to learn to celebrate, and to have fun together, to dance together, and just everybody just as they are. And I is the. I find that people who are maybe in wheelchairs, uh, maybe they can't do a lot of things. But they have this fantastic capacity to to relate and to love and to and to have fun together. Because I think this is the big challenge for humanity: can we get together? Can we let the barriers that separate people fall down? If we can move from the place of fear and the face of and the place of prejudice to and compulsions, just to welcome people and discover how beautiful they are, how Mm. beautiful they are. And each one, each one of us are the same. One of the gifts of those people you were looking at at, on the stage at Massey Hall is that they know they're limited. They're in wheelchair. They can't do this and they can't do that. Unfortunately, a lot of people in our society think they are illimited. 
But in reality, we're all limited. We all have our handicaps. We all have our difficulties to relate. We're all a little bit frightened of the future. And maybe life is more simple than that. It's about creating community where we can welcome each other, where we can particularly welcome those who feel lonely. And in our society, where there's a, a lot of accentuation on doing well and be a success and be powerful, we're just forgetting that the essential thing is to relate. And when we're just wanting to be individualistically powerful, what we're forgetting is there are a lot of people who can't make it now. The elderly people, people who have Alzheimer's, people with disabilities, people who are out of work, and sometimes also our third nation people and all the rest. It's to learn to accept people as they are and to see how beautiful they are. Can I ask you what you miss about your good friend, Henry Nowen? Well, I mean, he was, he was first of all, a, an enthusiastic person and a, a terrific sense of, of the importance of, of meeting everybody and loving, a deep sense of the mystery of Jesus. I mean, he had a, a deep love for Jesus. And at the same time, he was an amazing person in our community at daybreak. I mean, the way he brought people forth, the way he, he called people to understand our world and, and to love people. His death was, uh, was a shock, and a great shock, really, for, for all of us. It was an unexpected shock. He was going to, Amster he was going to St. Petersburg uh, to contemplate in front of television remembrance uh, painting of the prodigal son. And he had a beautiful way of explaining that parable of the son who thought he was no good and he buzzed off and he spent all his money on parties and women and all the rest of the stuff. And then he came back because he was ashamed of himself. And he came back saying, well, I want to say I'm sorry to Dad, but Dad took him in his arms, embraced him and said, this is the best day of my life. But then the elder brother started complaining because he and the father said, but you're with me all the time. So somewhere about the knowledge and love, uh, Henry Dunn loved to talk about that. Mm. And there are a lot of people who get mixed up and they fall into the slot of just uh, having parties and that. And yet each one of them is beautiful. And he is then calling people to come back to the Father and to create a world where we can love each other more, create communities together and where we can come together, people from different churches, different religions, but centered upon helping those who are the weakest to find the beauty that is within them. You know, the the interesting thing about uh, Henry Nowen and yourself and, and Larsh and, and uh, Larsh Daybreak in, in Richmond Hill, I grew up in Richmond Hill, and just down the street from me was a Catholic church. I had nothing to do with it at the time. I didn't know anything about it. And I didn't know that Henry was the priest there. <laughs> and then just up the street was Lars Daybreak. Right. And I knew a little bit about it. I'd heard about the Ark, um, you know, the uh, the whole yeah. thing. I, I, but I didn't know what it had to do with you guys. Yeah. And then I, I, I did a lot of reading uh, from a guy named Mike Iaconelli. Yeah. And uh, Mike introduced me to Lars through his books. And then I put it all together and realized that where I grew up in Richmond Hill... 
was a place that many of uh, your people have unfortunately had to come to. Uh, of course, I grew up in Marshall Funeral Home, yeah. and that's, I believe, where we took Henry's service. Yeah. And uh, we also, uh, many of your uh, um, core members have had their funeral services at, at our family's funeral home. So for me, it's just an interesting connection. Yeah, well, you were there right in the middle of it, and Richmond Hill Daybreak has, has grown. It's a beautiful community and a very loving community. Yeah. Do you, uh, Mr. Vanier, are, do you ever get angry at anybody? You seem so peaceful and nice and gentle, and everyone calls you the gentle giant, but come on, you've got to get angry at somebody. At some, uh, when was the last time you got angry at somebody? <laughs> I don't know. One of the times, but it wasn't anger. I was in a home and living there with people with very severe disabilities. And uh, Lucien was there. The story of Lucien, a very severely person with very deep handicaps. He couldn't talk. He couldn't look you in the eye. He couldn't do anything by himself. He had, I mean, he was a deeply, deeply wounded, a wounded person. He'd all lived all his life with mum, and she was a beautiful person. But then mum felt sick. And uh, Lucia had to be put into a hospital, and there he lived terrible anguish. And anguish is broken communion. He had lived with his mother for 30 years. Anyway, the hospital wasn't the place for him, and he came to our community. And I lived with him. But what struck me was that when he screamed and screamed and screamed, it awoke my scream. Uh, his anguish awoke my anguish. And I could then understand that for some parents who are just living alone with their son and the son is screaming and yelling, it brings up all sorts of the darkness within us. Hmm. So um, I saw within me, and thank God I live in community, and even there were people much younger than myself who were much more open to Lucia, but somewhere he triggered off in myself my own fragility, my own weaknesses, my own anguish, and I could see coming up in myself capacities for violence, because I believe we all have, are capable of violence. So I don't say that was the last time, but that was a time when I really saw how violent I could be. But living in community, I could talk about it, and we could share about it, and we could help each other, because none of us are devoid from, from a capacity to hurt people. And it's something that we all have to work at ourselves through prayer, through understanding, through all the realities that we need to grow to become more fully human and more loving. We're, of course, chatting with uh, Jean Vanier. Uh, Mr. Vanier, sometimes I wonder if people get all warm and fuzzy when they think about, you know, living with someone who is developmentally challenged, right? Oh, isn't that nice? And there's an esoteric value there and, uh, you know, the cute smiles and the, and the simplicity of them. They're, it's like children. But I think that's because whenever we see examples of, of those within that community, we usually only see the ones who are sort of, uh, and, and forgive me for phrasing this poorly, but cute and functional. We rarely see those who are severely handicapped, the ones who are violent or or who have severe behavioral issues, you know, those who are loud and even dangerous to themselves as well as others. And and what you just shared with me brings me to this. What what do you learn from those people? What do you I mean, you always say that Larsh is not a community where the non-handicapped help the handicapped, where we are their help to them. 
you say that they help us as well. And I say to you, really? I mean, how, how do the violent and selfish and those who are unable to communicate help you? Well, it helps to touch me in my own place of violence, that I have to change, I have to grow. I think pretty well all the assistants come to laugh, daybreak, or wherever it is to do good. But to doing good, there's an element of power. And then they have to suddenly come to the point to discover that people with disabilities are helping them, to discover that the essential reality of life is to grow in understanding of others and to grow in relationship with them. But we all have to go through that period where we, we discover that it's not all that easy to relate. It's not all that easy to accept people as they are different because some of them can annoy us, make us climb the wall and, and God knows what. But to discover that we all people, uh, we have our brokenness, we have our limits. And maybe because people with disabilities are frequently so limited, they can teach us to live with our limits so that we don't have to pretend that we're God and that we can do everything. And so it's to come down to the smallness of life, because life is just to live together, to do beautiful things together, but to be together in forgiveness and, and so on. So it, it's a place where we have learned, and I can tell you, I've learned things from Lucia about myself. I've learned a lot from other assistants or assistants. I've learned also the beauty of people, and that it's a wonderful thing to, to grow together. And there are times living in community and living with people who have a lot of serious difficulties, uh, we can touch our, our deepest brokenness, our capacity to, to hurt people, our capacity to run away from people. Also, our need to be competent, to be loving. To be loving is not just some affective nyanya of cuteness. To love people is to understand them and then help them to grow and helping myself also to grow, to become more human and more loving and more open. You know, I... I... I'm thinking about this in as practical terms, in, in, in sort of as practical as I can, and I, I, I've got to run this by you. If if someone doesn't act the same as us, uh, then they then they don't process the same as us. That's what we think. We think if someone doesn't act the same as us, then they don't process the same as us or process the same as us. And if they don't process the same as us, then they don't feel the same things we feel. For example, those that are part of society who are simply uh, what we might call socially unaware. They're not, they're not uh, handicapped in, in the ways that we might think, but they're just, they're just a little socially unaware. The interaction with them sometimes needs to have strong boundaries. In other words, we shouldn't be afraid to not use the same social graces we, we would typically use with others. In other words, when those who aren't aware enough to realize that every time they talk with you, it's at least a 30-minute selfish diatribe, and they trap you again at the grocery store, and you know it's going to be another 30 minutes of them talking about themselves, it, we feel that it's okay to lie to them and tell them that you have to go. Sorry, I, I have to go when you really don't have to go. So, uh, so the I question... It's going to make you climb the wall. It might be just as well to, to, to go. <laughs> uh, particularly if, if they're not going to, you feel there's not going to be much change. Sometimes with some people who are so blocked or so blinded, you have to wait till they break their leg. And once they're in hospital, then you could go and see them and we can talk together and they really want to see you. But when they're in that state where they're just trying to condemn you and saying you're stupid and all the rest, 
Okay, but uh, I think uh, maybe I won't say that I have an appointment. I would say I have to go because I really have to go. I yeah. can't stand it anymore. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, he's making me climb the wall. Yeah. You know? And particularly, you said it last going to last half an hour. You know, I've got other th- better things to do. But, but, so Mr. Mr. Vanier, this, yep. this, uh, so this is what I want to. I have to figure this out because you. You give us the impression that, you know, Mr. Van- Jean Vanier, the gentle giant, has time for everybody. You have the patience of Job. You, you'll sit down with the, with the, uh, the various core members, and, and they'll do their, their wild and crazy things, and you just smile and be patient. Whereas, you know, I wonder if there's ever a time to have strong, uh, strong social boundaries with these people and say, you know, I only have five minutes or, or uh, you know, uh, you sort of almost treat them in a, a little bit more of a rude way. And I don't mean that as I, I can't think of another way to say it. We treat them a little bit more rudely than we would say somebody else who's a little more socially aware. Is that allowed or not? Rudeness, I think it's also to be true. Right. I mean, just say, no, it's not possible. And I, I'm sorry. It's uh, I mean, we have to be true to people. I mean, if people are just closing themselves upon themselves, but then there's a whole way of how to approach people who have this complete blockage to social awareness, complete blockage to people with disabilities. So we have to think of ways to approach them, uh, maybe to show them uh, the movies where we can be opened up to people. I mean, we have to work through things with people who are blind. You know, there's a beautiful expression of Jesus where he says, don't try to take a, a, a spot of dust from the eye of somebody when you've got a log in your own eye. Then he goes on and says, take the log out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly, clearly to take the speck out of the other person's eye. So maybe we all have logs in our eyes. And uh, it's not all that easy. Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye. But if we don't know there's a log, it's not all that easy. So we have to not be blind to ourselves, because those who are blind to the weaknesses of others and the needs of others are frequently blind to their own weaknesses and to their own needs. And that's why I say the best thing is to wait till they break their leg and then go and see them in hospital. There they want to see you, and we can begin to talk. Right. <laughs> oh, you're, you're a very interesting man. Uh, I, I, has Jean Vanier ever gone through what Mother Teresa called the dark night of the soul? I'm not quite sure what she means by that. Uh, I knew Mother Teresa quite well, and I loved having breakfast with her in Calcutta. And uh, she would offer me eggs and talk about the mothers who were going to start in in Yemen, who were going to start in Jordania. She was filled with projects. She was a beautiful woman. I would see her praying in church, and she was as silent and as quiet. So when we talk about this dark night, you know, the, everybody goes through moments of doubt or of depression and so on. And I feel that sometimes they've augmented that. Whereas I knew a Mother Teresa who was laughing, smiling, praying gently. That doesn't mean to say there weren't times where she was tired. And, uh, and I would think there were many times when she was tired. I can tell you there certainly have been times when I've been tired. And when one's tired, one can quickly get fed up with others. But that's okay, too. I don't know whether it's a dark night of the soul. Mm. But, I mean, everybody, we have to go through moments of 
slight depression or slight whatever it is. And that's okay too. That's life. Life is that. We have to go through the moments of wherever we're feeling a little bit down, but that's okay. You know, um, I'm, I'm just wondering again in your life, uh, was there ever a time that, that you met evil? Does that make any sense? I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, an odd question, but I'm just wondering, have you ever met evil? I would say no, but I remember talking, you know, we started a community in, in Honduras, and Nadine was the founder of that community. He was from this community here. And uh, she had a lot of contacts with the young people. And then she said, you see that house up in the way? He's a mafia man. And he's in collusion with the police and all that. And he's destroying all these kids. These kids who were coming around to last hour, they're getting caught up in drugs. So I can't say that I met this man and that I met evil, but I've seen also the result of evil. I mean, I've been to Auschwitz. Uh, I've been to Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I've seen, you know, what people can do to others. I've visited prisons, and I've t- spoken in prison, in maximum security prisons. And it's true that there's a lot of people who have done evil, and there are a lot of people who've received evil, I cannot say that I have touched it, but when Nadine showed me that house where that mafia man who was killing off all these young kids with the with the drugs, somewhere we were touching, somewhere evil. Hmm. Are you afraid of anything? I mean, you talk a lot about fear, and of course you recount the one story of falling off the naval boat into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they say, am I frightened of death? I say, not today, but come and see me a week before. (laughs) We'll talk about it. Yeah, that's right. But for the moment, no. Uh, I can't say there are things that, but I know also that there's the fragilities in me. And, uh, you know, I'm 83 now, and uh, it's obviously I'm I'm getting weaker and and, uh, more fragile or whatever you want to call it. So, So obviously there are times when, when I'm in difficulty, but this is all part of life. It's all part of life. So I, there can be things that that disturb me or difficulties. But that's okay too, because that is life. You know, we're we're one of the most normal things that we're all going to live is death. We were born to live, and we're born to die. So that's that's and so. But also, we're born also to get weaker, to be... And I'm living in a community, and super to be in a community where people love me, and I love them. And when I'm in need, they can help me, and when they're in need, I can help them. So there's something about togetherness in community. Loneliness uh, is a painful thing. But in being in community, there's a sort of a working together, which is which is very beautiful. And there, I think, we can meet the Spirit of God. We discovered Jesus, who has come to call us to be together and to learn and to grow into love and greater human maturity. Hmm. You know, I'm sure in these in these years of life that you're now living, uh, 83, you said, I think. That's it. Congratulations, by the way. Um, I'm sure, you know, you sit down and you think about where life has gone and you do a little bit of a retrospective journey once in a while. Theologically speaking, Mr. Vanier, is there anything that you used to believe that you no longer believe? Well, I can say that 
I suppose when I was doing theology, um, I believed very much in the Catholic Church. Then I discovered the beauty of people in other churches. And then I went to India and was helped a lot by people who were disciples of Mahatma Gandhi. And I discovered the incredible beauty of so many people, many who have no faith at all. I met somebody, I never met him, but actually I heard, the disciple of Abdul Kafa Khan, who was a Muslim, who spent 28 years in prison, 14 years in the prison of the English, and then 14 years in the prison of, uh, of Pakistan. He created a little army of people who had the vow when the British troops were trying to go through the, the, the Afghanistan, the northern India at the time. And in that, they took vows, first of all, to respond to all cruelty with forgiveness, to work for the understanding between religions, and to give at least two hours a day to work for those who were the poorest or the weakest. So what have I have discovered is yet there's a beauty in the Christian churches, a beauty and, and a way of life, but also there's incredible beauty in so many people, but they don't always know it. But I find that everywhere there are wonderful people. And as I say, be they Muslim or be they Hindus or be whatever it is, there's so much beauty in so many people. So I, I would say that I have learned a lot through life. And maybe the greatest thing that I've learned is to discover the incredible beauty and the, the force of life mm. of people with disabilities. I mean, there is such incredibly wonderful people there. So I just say my life has been a discovery of finding the beauty in so many people. Well, you know, it's interesting. I look back. I mean, I'm, I'm only uh, 45, uh, and I look back on my life, and I realize that one of the problems I've had is, is, is vulnerability, is trust. I'm terrified of mutual vulnerability. It, it, and that's interesting because on my show, I'll often discuss how pathetic I am spiritually. And so I guess I, I have no problem being spiritually vulnerable. But I, the reason I don't have a problem in that is because I know that that's a, a, a building block. You know, hum, spiritual humility is a building block for spiritual growth. So there's no I, – just because I haven't seen it modeled very often, especially in the evangelical scene – uh, it doesn't mean that I can't do it. So I, th- that's my vulnerability. But I'm afraid of being seen. I'm selectively vulnerable. I'm very afraid of being seen. I always have this, this image of uh, Toto, the dog in The Wizard of Oz, pulling the curtain back and revealing the real Wizard of Oz. I really hear what you say. And maybe in all of us, there are deep elements of guilt um, that we cover up. And, uh, but when I think of that, um, what I believe is the important thing, living in community, is to live as simply and as openly uh, as, as I am and as we are. I live in a, one of the homes here, and I eat all my meals with people with, in that particular home. There's Patrick and Andrew and so on. And just to be with them and to have fun together and, and also to show if, if I'm in difficulty. So I hear what you say. But I, I believe that in Lash, there's a sort of a momentum of peacefulness and happiness. Um, and I must say, in some ways, I feel very uh, favored or blessed living with people with disabilities. Because to tell you the truth, sometimes when I'm living with or eat with people 
who know nothing about people with disabilities and are slightly hard, I feel a bit crushed and I close up and I don't quite know how to speak and I've got nothing much to say. Hmm. So I find that my community is a very good place for me. And now that I'm 83, I'm not running around the world and I'm just at peace. And uh, I discover that Christmas is Christmas and Christmas could be every day. <laughs> if, uh, Mr. Vanya, if all of a sudden there were... There were no, um, there were no mentally and physically handicapped people. Who would you hang out with? <laughs> These hypothetical questions. <laughs> <laughs> they drive you insane, don't they? You see, you're asking one of those questions which is purely imaginative. You might be even saying that nobody is going to die because if there's no people, I mean. There are people with disabilities all over the place, <laughs> and we're not suddenly imagining a world which would be an imperfect world because everybody thinks they're perfect. No, but, but the reality is just let's be ourselves. There are people dying today. There are people in camps in Rwanda. There are people who are suffering in uh, in in uh, in, uh, in Israel and in and in Palestine. I mean, there's suffering all over the world. Right. There are areas here in, near Paris where people are in tragic situations where there's violence and so on. So we're not heading to a perfect world. We're heading to a world where we can learn to accept each other and each one of us just do what we can so there'll be a little bit more mutual acceptance, mutual trust and mutual love. Any regrets as you look back? I mean, not getting married or having children of your own? Any regrets? No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, there's inside of my heart, I think there's a, a deep peace. Uh, you see, the wonderful thing when you get older, you don't have many projects for the future. Uh, it's a question of living in the present. And uh, with people with disabilities, they also, they have an incredible way of just living in the present. So I find that today, now that I'm 83, that I have no big responsibilities in my own community or in the communities around the world. So I'm much more called to, to live the present and rejoice in the present. There was a priest that wrote, wrote a book called The Naked Present, The Naked Presence. And I found that expression beautiful. I mean, there's something about present. To be present to people, to be present to the particular moment, to give thanks, to give thanks for life, to give thanks for the community in which I live, to give thanks for those who are around me and who love me and I love them, to give thanks for my home where I live with people with disabilities. And I just feel very privileged and, and really deeply peaceful. Mr. Vanya, have you ever tangibly encountered God? And I don't mean, oh, yes, I, you know, I walk through the trees, and isn't that beautiful, and I feel God's presence, or I wash someone's feet, or I serve somebody, the least of these, and I just felt the No, I mean, just you and God, and you felt God's tangible, tangible touch. The word tangible is, is slightly strong. Um, I would say that moments of prayer, uh, I sense a presence of God, but a presence of God which... Um, brings me a, a, a deeper peace, uh, an inner quietness. So I would say yes, but the word the word you're using is tangible. Um, I find that too strong. Uh, you see, our God is a God of peace, a 
God of tenderness, a God of forgiveness. And that I have sensed. And if we talk about this tangibility of God, I, I think you're talking about something luminous or something with light and, and so on. And that's not my, my way. My way is is much more uh, a quietness, a tenderness. Uh, and even the, the way you say, uh, you know, not just... Uh, you see, I <laughs> to be with people uh, who have disabilities and in some mysterious way, they're teaching me about life and they're teaching me about about love and it's it's a very you see the whole Christian vision is just love one another and it's not having big tangibilities or mm. big things with God which can draw you out of the something which is the very human way of living to learn to live humanly to love to love people to accept people as they are and to discover that I still have work to do. We all have work to do to grow to greater maturity and peacefulness and acceptance of others. I, I'm very rarely stuck for words. Um, it's my job to keep it going. But when you talk, you say so much. You don't You don't say so much, but you say so much. Does that make any sense? Uh, <laughs> it can. <laughs> what I'm hearing is that you say so much that there's... You know, it's not just uh, uh, tomato sauce. It's uh, it's uh, it's condensed tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. Listen, <laughs> but I mean, that's what life is about. Is uh, and anyway, you know, I'm not going to speak to you with for another hour or no. two. So it's better to be concise and clear <laughs> as best as possible, and 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 so on. Well, look, you are one of those people that um, has become. I guess sort of a, a new treasure for me. And I'm sorry it's taken so many years to find out about you. I'm sorry it's taken so many years to get you on my show. I'm thankful for everything that you've done. I mean, you've laid your life down. So, uh, so thank you I for doing that. I've laid it down, but for me, it's been just a joyful existence. And yeah. to find meaning to one's life, I mean, I just feel so privileged. I mean, it's just a gift. Mm. So, I mean, it's to find, what is maybe we're all searching for is peace of heart and to grow in acceptance and not just to throw ourselves into this terrible game of where we have to go up the ladder to get more money, to get more this, and therefore to be continually disappointed. So I can say that living with people in my own home here with people with disabilities is just so, so wonderful. I feel so privileged. Well, thank you. Jean Vanier, I, I have nothing else to say. I really don't other than thank you. You've, you, uh, And look, you get thanked all the time. People love on you all the time. You are one of the luckiest guys in the world. That's true. <laughs> and I'm happy. And well, thank you for allowing me to be on the show. And just, you see, one of the things that's important is, that, is to tell people it's a wonderful thing to live with people who have been pushed aside and to discover how beautiful they are, and to share with them. It's a beautiful life. Well said. Well said. Merry Christmas, Jean Vanier. Merry Christmas to you, and, and peace to you, and be well. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There you go, folks. A very, very rare interview with the one and only Jean Vanier.
You need to read his books. That's all I need to say. Either he or Henry Nowen, both of them, uh, will blow your spiritual socks off. How about that? <laughs> Does that work for you? Short break on our show. Stay with us. Like what you've heard? Listen again online at drewmarshall.ca.